0: Listening to Keep the Main Thing the Main Thing podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com. Welcome, everyone, to the Pines Church online experience. My name is Matt Joy. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm so excited that you carved out 30 minutes and change to study God's Word alongside us. For those of you that are joining, maybe for the very first time, we are in the middle of a series. Focus primarily on people and relationships. This is stemming all the way back from when we celebrated our one-year anniversary and God gave us a vision for our second year, that we would be focused on three major areas. He actually gave me the vision of a trident. And those three areas are discipleship. We're going to go deep in God's Word, helping people understand their identity in Christ and helping them excavate the purpose that God has placed on the inside of them. Their dreams, their destiny, their calling. Uh, Number two, we're going to focus on unity. Unity in the church and unity amongst the generations. And thirdly, in no specific order, we're going to focus on the lost. And so the lost in every single one of these spears represents people. So the Pines Church is going to be a church that's about people. Everything we do is going to be run through the filter of Are we reaching people with the truth of God's word? And so last week, um, we talked about loving our enemies, a very challenging um, and difficult topic. And we kind of camped out in Psalm 23, where God, you know, that's just one of the most popular scriptures in all of the Bible. Um, Many kids memorize that scripture. But the Bible, God says he makes a table in the presence of your enemies. And I broke down that word in the Hebrew. It literally means to shoot forth a banquet table, that all of the provision is there. And so the question have to be asked, if there's all these table settings and all of this provision, and you and God are definitely there because God highlights that in that scripture, where, what are all the other place settings for? And, and, I, and I believe that all of scripture is pointing to, It, was, it that our enemies are invited to that table. That's what the Bible, that's what Jesus specifically tells us to love and to pray for um, our enemies. He also talks about filling our cup to overflowing. And I shared, um, you know, if you fill a cup to overflowing and you don't do anything with it, it makes a mess. But the purpose of filling to overflowing is so that you can pour into other vessels, other cups. We have been called um, to be salt and light in the world, pointing people to Jesus. And here's the fundamental truth that we all must wrap our head head around, is that the gospel advances through relationship. And nobody modeled this better than Jesus himself. In fact, and nobody had a harder time with it than the Pharisees. Um, I find that very interesting, you know. But much like the Pharisees, we, even in today, especially in our culture, struggle with having um, the attention taken off of us and placed onto others. But that's exactly what Jesus did, right? Jesus met people where they were at. Um, I don't, I'm sure I'm not the first one telling you this, but social media, the introduction of social media has really groomed us towards narcissism. Uh, It has the guise of it's connecting all of us, but really it's made us the center in the focal point. And uh, I shared a a statistic last uh, couple of weeks ago where it talked about millennials, and not picking on millennials, but it said millennials are considered the social media generation. It said that 35% of millennials could be um, diagnosed clinically as being narcissists. And that's not a label that any of us have to receive, but it is an indicator to wake us up to say, hey, we can't fall asleep at the wheel here and just go with the flow of our culture. And in fact, I came across another review, and this is from the Cultural Research Center at Arizona University, and it said this. It said, according to the Nationwide Study of Millennials, again, a millennial is basically between the, the ages of 18 to 37, so if you fall in that age, you are a millennial. It says a majority, 54%, so the, the majority, admits to frequently feeling anxiety, depression, or fear. They are plagued with self-doubt and deeply desire to be a part of a community that knows and appreciates and respects them. They report being dissatisfied with their peer relationships and having a difficult time trusting others and a difficult time um, making friends. And so again, social media has propped itself up as connecting the world. But it really has done the opposite if we if we look at these studies. Now, I'm not here to knock social media. We obviously use social media. I believe social media is a tool, just like a gun. A gun in the hands of, of, of a good person can save a life. The gun in the hands of a wrong person can take a life. And so we need to make sure that we're utilizing social media and social media isn't utilizing us is the point. Um, but this reminds me when I look across you know that statistic, the majority of millennials have a difficult time finding relationship and that they're desiring, they're looking for that. Of Jesus' words that the harvest is great, but the labors are few. So this is a divine opportunity that each and every single one of us have to be able to meet a fundamental need to the majority of this generation. Forget about generation Y, because that number is probably even larger. That these people are looking for a place where they can belong, you know. And to illustrate this point, um, I want to talk about. I want to talk. I want. I want to unpack the parable of the good Samaritan. And so, for the sake of time, I'm just going to kind of. Um, I'm going to kind of unpack this. The Reader's Digest version, the Cliff Notes. But essentially, Pharisees came to Jesus and they said. Um, you know, what must I do to it to uh, inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks back at them and says, well, what does the law say? And the Pharisees, you know, they know the law. They had the first four books of the Bible memorized, which is crazy. But they couldn't recognize the Messiah though standing right in front of them. Another sermon for another day. But the, the Pharisee responded. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your strength and your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said this, he said, um, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Um, which is interesting, Jesus didn't have to say that. The fact that he, that he, that he said that is really, uh, should cause us to pause and to lean into that. That those two commandments hang everything else. But the Pharisee wasn't satisfied with this answer. And, you know, he basically pushes back, trying to justify himself and says, well, okay, sure, fine, to love the Lord your, your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and, and mind, uh, but who's my neighbor? Right? Like, tell me who my neighbor is and, and then, then I'll tell you if I'm loving them. And so Jesus goes on to tell them a parable and he told this story about a man who was walking down the street and he fell amongst thieves and the thieves beat him within inches of his life, stripped his clothes, stole everything from him and left him on the side of the road to die. The next morning, a priest came by, saw the man, moved over to the other side of the road and continued walking. Um, And then uh, the Levite came Same thing, saw the man, walked over uh, to the other side. And then a Samaritan came and he had pity on the man that fell amongst the thieves. He took him in and and he bandaged his wounds. He clothed him and then he brought him, nursed him back to health. He brought him to an inn and he paid for the man to stay there and then he told the innkeeper, let this man stay, feed him, take care of him for as long until he can get out on his own. And if it, it equals more money than I've paid you, then let me know. And the next time I'm in town, I will um, pay you. And then Jesus drops this bomb, okay? And he says, go and do likewise to the Pharisee. Um, I think that's such an important uh, parable because... What happened was, the priest looked at this situation, what's gonna happen to me if I stop and I help this man? And the priest went on to actually go and do ministry. He was on his way to the temple. So think about this, here's ministry, staring right in front of his eyes. Here's the harvest, but the laborers are few. And this man would wear the title of a laborer, of God, bringing in the harvest, but that wasn't the way that he expected to bring in the harvest. He was on his way to the temple. And the Levite, the same. But the Samaritan simply was present to the moment. He wasn't preoccupied with the past of where he's been or preoccupied with the future of where he was going, which is what the Levite and the priest struggled with. But he was present to the moment to be able to see the need that was around him. And the priest and the Levite looked at that situation. What's going to happen to me? if I stop and help this man? But the, but, the, but the Samaritan flipped the question. And he said, what's gonna happen to this man if I don't stop and help him? You know, Ray Bradbury, uh, the author of Fahrenheit 451, said this, we need not to be let alone. We need to really be bothered every once in a while. How long has it been since you were really bothered, about something important, about something real. I would exchange the word bothered with interrupted. I think both of those words could be interchangeable. The question is, when was the last time that you were interrupted? Every single one of us, from the lawyer on Wall Street to the barista at Starbucks, have full schedules. But how many of us have allowed our lives to be disrupted, interrupted, so that we could meet the needs that are around us? If you study the life of Jesus, many of his miracles were interruptions. Okay, he was on his way to the temple. He was on his way to Lazarus, and somebody grabbed the hem of his garment. Somebody called out to him. And if Jesus would have responded like the priest and the Levite saying, I'm on my way to do ministry with Lazarus. I'm on my way to do ministry at the temple. He would have missed out on many of the miracles that are recorded in the New Testament. And see, this is where I think many of us wrestle with because we have this idea of, you know, many are the plans in a man's heart but it is the Lord that orders their steps. So, yes, people don't plan to fail. They fail the plan. It's good to have a plan. Those without a vision perish. But we must live a yielded life, meaning that we must understand that the Spirit of God dwells on the inside of us and He's going to lead us to places that maybe we didn't expect to go that day. Structure, schedules are healthy, they're the backbone of our day, but we must be present to the moment and be willing to yield our plans for his plans. I've shared this many times, and I think it bears repeating. John 15, 13, there is no greater love than this, than he who lays his life down for his brother. Popular scripture always comes out on Memorial Day. Many of us, we vision the uh, soldier running from a splatoon, jumping on a grenade to save the rest of the men. In that platoon, and rightfully so, I believe that that scripture certainly applies to that. But we make a date. We we're in error. We make a dangerous play when we take that to the apex of his meaning to absolve ourselves from its everyday application. I believe that means we are called to lay our lives down throughout the day. We are called to lay our lives down when we are on our way somewhere else. Are we willing to be interrupted, or is our schedule? Or is our, even our ministry, our goal, an idol in our life? And remember, an idol is anything you give your strength to and draw your strength from. Has it become elevated in your life to the point where you're not being present to the moment to be obedient to what the Holy Spirit is putting in your heart at the moment? That was the case of the priest. That was the case of the Levite. They elevated what they had to do for the day. And what they had to do for the day was for God. And they missed out on the divine opportunity to be able to love their neighbor as their self, on which all the rest of the law hangs. You know, in Galatians, the Bible says, bear one another's burdens, so fulfilling the law of Christ. Again, going in line with what Jesus said, all these commandments hang on, as we love our neighbor, as ourselves. as we bear one another's burdens, we are fulfilling that law. The reality is that all of us have to be comfortable being interrupted and being disrupted, being willing to take off our nice dress shirt or roll up our sleeves and get dirt under our fingernails to bring in the harvest. It is work. That's why the Bible says that the laborers are few because it takes work to bring in a harvest. And as I shared and opened up this message, there is a harvest just in the millennials. But I bet if you went to Gen X and you went to Gen Y and you even went to baby boomers, people are struggling finding a place where they belong. People are struggling, especially coming off of the restrictions and shelter in places and having relationships. And that's why the church has to be, Jesus made it central that the gospel advances through relationships. That's why he grabbed the disciples and said, come with me. That's why he sat With prostitutes, he sat with mafia, he sat with the religious leaders of the day, he invested and spent time with them. See, Acts 20 35 says this In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive what a privilege we have to be able to give of our time often when we hear that we automatically go to like finances but you know finances money gold silver that is not the number one commodity in this life and in this world the number one commodity regardless of how rich you are or how poor you are we all get a certain amount of it Is time. And you can't buy any more time. Sure, you can free up your schedule here and there, but time is the most valuable commodity. So when you give your time to someone, you're you're giving your treasure. And it is better to give than to receive. And you know, Paul takes it to another level in Romans. He says we should actually outdo one another and showing honor. And remember, we defined that word last week. What does honor mean? It essentially means to value. What value are you ascribing to those people in your sphere of influence? What value are you ascribing to the man that's beaten naked, left for dead on the side of the road? Well, I can tell you this. If you continue to walk, you're ascribing zero value. You're dishonoring them. This is the opposite of the gospel, Jesus placed a value. In fact, the greatest value has been, is, is placed on each and every single one of us because God paid the greatest ransom in the universe to be in relationship with us. And so this idea, we should allow you know, the Holy Spirit to kind of like stimulate our creative juices and how we can outdo one another in showing honor. And I'm reminded of a story of a couple that we had we were doing life with, and, you know, we worked at this organization, and there were about, you know, like 40, 40 team members. And um, I remember there was this guy, and he was a great guy. He would, he would give, you, give of his time. He was just the nicest guy in the world. And um, him and his wife were coming to a place where they needed a home, but they didn't have any money. And the Lord put it in somebody's heart, and they shared with us. They said, they said I really feel like God's put it in our heart that we're to help them buy a house. So, we're all young parents. We don't have big baller savings accounts. We're just kind of starting out our lives and, you know, they needed a house. They're moving out of an apartment, and you need to have a down payment for a house. And down payments a lot of money because housing industry is booming. So, nobody could, you know, just automatically meet this need, but this our friend had this vision from God like I I really believe we're supposed to give we're supposed to love on him and give lavishly. And he just shared that. I just, that's the word I remember. He said, I think the Lord told me we're supposed to give lavishly. And so we got together and we said, hey, let's, th- let's all start giving towards this and see what we come up with. Well, long story short, this family that didn't have anything, they had two young kids. We were able to give them $26,000. Um, to be able to purchase this home, something that I'd never thought would have been possible if I just looked at like what we're able to do. I, you know, we had up until that point chipped together and bought people a $50, $100 gift card to go out for their anniversary or their birthday. But it was that idea, that lavish, that unlocked something on each and every single one of us. And coming out of that experience, first of all, you should have seen their faces, You should have seen the faces when we all came together for a barbecue, and they knew we were doing something nice for them, but they had no clue that we were going to hand them a check for your home, and they're like, oh, you know, this is great. You know, maybe this is $1,000, which $1,000 is nothing to sneeze at. That's a lot of money. But when they looked at that, their jaws dropped, and they're like, "Uh, uh, we can't, we, we can't. And let me tell you something. In that moment, I truly understood why the Bible says that it's better to give than to receive. Everybody in that room just felt such a sense of like joy in being able to give this to them, knowing that they were never going to be able to pay us back, and that's not the reason that we did it. It was just out of a spirit of generosity about doing one another and showing honor and saying, you know what? This wasn't done for us, but we love this guy. Let's put our heads together and see what we can come up with. And the Lord met us there with our faith, and we were able to raise that kind of money. And now that's a staple not only in that man's life as he walks through his home and shares the testimony with everybody in his neighborhood and anybody that's ever going to dine at him but it is for all of us that no situation is too grim that God supplies every single one of his, our needs according to his riches and glory but it comes when we get our eyes off of ourselves and we love our neighbor as our So let's go back to Jesus' words. I want to wrap this up, okay? He says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength and with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. The necessity of the first commandment to fulfill the second commandment. You must... Be in love with God. You must allow God to love you and then you reciprocate that love because you can only give what you got. You can't put the cart before the horse. You can't try to stir this love up and pull yourself up by the bootstraps and go love on people. It's gotta be something that's an overflow of what God is already doing in you. That's why Psalm 23 says that he will fill you to overflowing so that you can pour into others. You're blessed to be a blessing. But sometimes people go out there and they try to do that work first and they're gonna, they're gonna become disenfranchised very quickly with the church, with ministry, with God, and vilify God because they're trying to do it in their own strength and they don't have it. And so this has to come, you have to get this first thing right, that first commandment to love God with everything you have and as a result, love flows both ways. When you open yourself up, the only way you can love is to open yourself up. And therefore, you receive God's love for you. I want you to just think about this, though. I want to I just close with this scripture. He is saying that all of scripture, all of the plans, all of his plans for history hang on these two great purposes, that we love God with all our heart, that we love each other as we love ourselves. The Pines Church, the vision that God has given us is, is, a, is a vision where we are going to love people. We are going to meet people where they're at and share the love of God. We're gonna be willing to get interrupted. We're gonna be willing to be disrupted. We're gonna get comfortable with being uncomfortable in inviting our enemies, our neighbors, everyone that the Holy Spirit highlights to our table and invest in relationships. And that is how the gospel advances. Not through preaching down at somebody, but by willing to get down on their level, understand and love them. This is not easy to do. And again, you can't do it on your own. But so first and foremost, you must understand That God loves you, that he views you as a son and a daughter, that he has an inheritance for you, that he's called you to rule and reign in this life, that every single one of your needs are met. And through this sense of peace, through this sense of being loved, through this sense of knowing your true identity, It frees you to be able to share the good news with everyone you come in contact with and pour out that love to others. That's what the millennial generation is looking for. That's what the baby boomer generation is looking for. That's what Gen Y is looking for. 54% are just looking for a place where they belong. And TikTok, Twitter, Reddit, (laughs) Facebook are not enough. Instagram, it doesn't matter how many friends you have on those platforms, it cannot replace a genuine and sincere relationship of breaking bread with one another. Remember the book of Acts, the Bible said when they dedicated themselves to the studying of God's word, prayer, and the breaking of bread, God multiplied unto their number. Is it important to preach the word of God? Absolutely. Is it important to pray? You better believe it, absolutely. Is it important to sit down and to dine and to get to know your neighbors? Absolutely. It's all in the same sentence. So let us be a people that is willing to be bothered, that is willing to be interrupted, that is willing to be disrupted, so that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus, bringing in this harvest through fellowship. I want to pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for every single person under the sound of my voice. I pray that you would begin to stir a sincere and genuine love for those people in their sphere of life, their neighbors, that they would be willing to cross the fence and get to know them on a deeper level, inviting them to dinner, inviting them to watch a game, Lord. I pray that we would all get comfortable with being uncomfortable, that we would... uh, welcome disruption, that we wouldn't be so rigid that we can't pull away from our plans when the Holy Spirit is clearly leading us in a different direction. Lord, highlight idols, things that we've set up in our lives that maybe not even sin, but are, that are serving as a stumbling block from us meeting the needs around us and being present to the moment so that we truly can be the hands of and feet of Jesus and live the way that you lived. Lord, we give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. I I love you guys. I'm so excited to continue to highlight this vision that the Lord has given us. Until next week, Godspeed. Thank you so much for listening to Keep The Main Thing, The Main Thing, a sermon resource provided by The Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. We'd love to hear from you. So leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit thepineschurch.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.